Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's our goal to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians, helping these two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal, making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Today we'll be talking about home building and building science. A really fun time in this conversation with Brian Euler. He calls himself a naturally observant builder. And I think this personal characteristic has served him well as he understands the residential construction market with some really keen observations, which you'll hear about in our conversation. So come on and join us as Brian explains how he came to learn about building science, later building it into all of his projects. Also, you can hear a funny story about how he found this podcast by mistake. I'm going to read you an excerpt from his brother's YouTube channel, which has an awful lot of visitors, uh, viewers, subscribers. But from that description of his brother's podcast, it's got some elements which show some of these factors and traits run in the family. So his brother Timmy's YouTube channel says the purpose of this channel is to promote knowledge and education in construction. Here in the U.S., many of us don't have any formal training or education in construction, but learn through experience. Parenthetically here, that sounds like an awful lot of HVAC, too. Close parentheses. My goal with this page is promote learning to the end that I will show what I've learned over the years. I want to be clear, this is a starting point. What I hope is that you as the reader, viewer, will have an open mind, will be willing to share your suggestions. Let's all view ourselves as learners first, teachers second then all of us will progress together. Okay, that's a quote from his brother's YouTube channel. But again, that's the same spirit with Brian uses in his work and in his YouTube channel. Look at all the links in the show notes. You can connect with all these great resources and materials. And let's get to talking with Brian Euler, where he shows us how applying discipline into relationships leads to better buildings. Brian, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. It's morning here, but I'm just heading into the weekend, pretty happy. Where is here? Port Orchard, Washington. So the Kitsap Peninsula, yeah, across the water from Seattle. You're not one of those communities you can only reach by boat, are you? We are not one of those communities, but it is a peninsula. In a sense, it's landlocked. If the bridges went down, we could be in a little bit of trouble. Okay. Brian, why don't you give us some of your background, your career background, and how we met and why we're talking here today, if you don't mind. My story starts before I was born. It starts with my dad. Okay. Yeah, so he was the second of eight children, farmer from North Dakota, and he was the first of the family to go to college. He had not a clue what he was doing. He just went, and there are different tracks that you can choose for what he would major in. And he just happened to major in finance and minor in political science, of all things. And that would have been late 60s, about the time of the Vietnam War happening. And he went ahead and decided to enlist and figured maybe he would get a better position or something. He ended up in the real estate corps, and he was managing leases in Saigon. So that was in the late 70s. He comes home. By that point, mom and Grandpa and grandma had moved out to our area now, Washington, and there was no work for him in the banking side of things. That's what he would have done. But one of the bankers said, I think Charlie, a general contractor, is hiring. So dad ended up being a comptroller 
for Charlie back in the early 70s. And that's where dad learned to be a cost accountant. And he started learning superintending and really how to be a builder. And then near the mid 70s, heading towards the end, he could just see that Charlie was spending too much on capital investments. In other words, he was buying heavy equipment for his brother-in-law and he was bugged. And Charlie said, well, Tim, you can either stop complaining or you can quit. So uh, late 70s, and it wasn't under a, a bad cloud or anything. Dad went out on his own, didn't have a clue. He had six specs with two kids. And if you know anything about the late 70s, early 80s, that is not the time you wanted to enter the housing market. A little similar now with high inflation, interest rates being raised to try to tame inflation. But dad always had a real practical side. He was a hands-on framer, and somehow he made a success of it. I don't know how many houses throughout the years between all of us we've built, but it's in the probably four to 500 range. And he's always taken his farmer sensibility into construction and his cost accounting side. At the same time, he's also been real rational about trying new things. I think we were the first in the area to use Tyvek. The expression goes he was the first in Kitsap County to have a cell phone. So he's been a forward thinker, but at the same time, he's always been pretty cautious when it comes to getting too far ahead of himself. That's a fascinating, interesting story. Looking back at anyone's story, it's always interesting because there's so many paths people can take and the conditions drive where you end up going. And I like that statement, farmer sensibility and cost accounting combined, yet rational to try new things. I think of myself in that sense in some ways, although I wasn't a farmer and I don't have cost accounting experience, but do you embody those same principles now? I take it you are now the principal person and this is Pioneer Builders, correct, is your company? No, you have it exactly right. And I hope that I embody those same characteristics. What I ended up doing was for 11th and 12th grade, I went to college. It was a local community college but it's called Running Start. And basically, you can concurrently go to high school at the same time as getting college credits. So I followed in his footsteps in taking courses related to accounting, finance, business, that type of thing. And then I actually took some upper division courses. This would have been the late 90s, early 2000s, and decided to start a company and built a house. Dad joined the firm sold it. And there was a semester where there were no upper division courses for me to take. And I was like, you know what? I don't really need to keep going to school. It was never pushed by mom and dad to get a degree. It, again, I think was a rational decision. I'm going to be okay. And I use what I went to the community college for every day of my life. So I still do our payroll. I do our cost accounting, accounts receivable, loan administration, if there's rentals. So yeah, definitely pick that up from dad. And I very much feel the burden of, I don't want to ruin dad's company. He reinvested in the company. Honestly, we have pretty good retained earnings and I would just feel horrible if I squandered it and I just ran it into the ground. So I definitely feel that sense of responsibility. And then my brother works with me. He's our lead framer. We do our structural foundation siding. Still a family business. I still talk to dad every day. He's got a wealth of experience and wisdom. 
And thankfully, we've gotten to that point in the relationship where we can talk as colleagues, and it's a good place to be. Awesome. Why are we talking today? How did you get interested in building science? Because that's really part of what you do and differentiates you as a builder. Yeah. And again, I'll just kick it back to dad for a moment. He saw Joe Stebrick back in the 80s. He still remembers putting in your drywall before your fiberglass surrounds for air sealing. Dad didn't get too deep into it. I'm pretty sure it was Mark La Liberté that came over here in the late 90s and did a seminar. And we watched it. And those little nuggets of information just start accumulating. I can't help but think our knowledge is like building a brick house. And each little fact starts building and stacking. And then before you know it, you've got a house of knowledge. But it takes a while to get there. It really does. So just accumulated over the years. And then there was a JLC article that had to do with buying a blower door. And one of the points it made was stop thinking about it and just do it. So it was like this little earworm in the back of my mind. I just kept thinking about it, but I tend to be pretty slow about pulling the trigger. I wait a while, marinate on it. Around that same time, I was getting a blower door test, which is mandated here in Washington state. And the blower door tester comes in and he says, what do you want your number to be? And I'm a relatively ethical person, and I'd like to think I'm mild-mannered, and I just said, whatever it comes in at. And we failed. And that is what started me down this path even more so, was failure. One of the lines I use is, in our company, we've done everything wrong at least once. The subtext is, sadly, sometimes we've done the same thing wrong more than once. So it was that that got me into figuring out what cubic volume actually is. Hey, wait a second. There's floor joists in there. Hey, why is air coming through this receptacle? I had never thought about any of those things, even though we had built dozens of houses. My brain had never gone there. We didn't have duct leakage testing at the time. We didn't perform it. Eventually, I'll fast forward a little bit. I ended up getting a duct blaster. Our HVAC contractor Sorry, I know I'm meandering around a little bit. This happens. So I get a blower door, and I looked at my watch history one time on YouTube to see how in the world did I ever find out about Matt Reisinger. And Matt Reisinger was my connection to you in a very roundabout way. So he had had Christoph Irwin from oh, Positive Energy down in Texas on there. And so you just hear things in passing. He's got a podcast, Building Science, whatever. Well, I searched for him and found you. <laughs> so what ended up happening, you start learning things. We, again, do our own structural framing. We do something of a hybrid model where some of our walls we actually build on the ground, sometimes all the way through cladding and siding, and then we tilt it up. So those end up being balloon-framed walls instead of platform-framed gable walls. So you end up with a little bit more air leakage unless you're going to seal all of those joints where the blocking is between your studs. You're just learning all of these things. I listened to you for hours and hours while I was trying to make one of the blower door tests pass. So it, the house was finished. We weren't passing it. And so I was taking the receptacles off, caulking the interface between the drywall and the receptacles, 
doing the bottom plates and just going, what's going on here? Wait a second. We have our mini split ducted unit up in the attic, and that's like in a separate part. I'm doing everything I can on the interior of this house. It has to be something with that system that's an unconditioned space. So you and I had talked earlier, you're dealing with the human side of the local talent that's in the area. We've worked with our HVAC contractor for years. He had a Retrotech duct blaster, never used it, or at least didn't do it much. He ended up doing one of our other houses. And I don't know if you've ever been there, Bill, when there's just something not quite right and people stop talking when you're in the room. Mm. So they did a test, and what they have, we use Daikin mini splits in all of our houses, ducted unit up in the attic. They add their little plenum on the front and the back. He had delegated to one of his guys the ceiling of the box, and it wasn't done properly. So we had all kinds of duct leakage up in that box. Well, eventually I pulled the trigger and got a duct blaster. So for years, I was doing all of our building envelope tests as well as our duct blaster tests. And I didn't want to offend him. So I was doing it behind his back and doing the duct sealing because there is the human side. And I just, I don't believe in being a bulldog and getting in people's faces. But anyway, that brings us, all of those things end up leading to other avenues of learning. And I'm a reader. I listen to podcasts and Instagram, the whole nine yards. I'm just always trying to learn different things. Fascinating story. And thank you for the commentary and the lucky combination of podcast names or (laughs) similarity in podcast names. I think his is the Building Science Podcast and mine is Building HVAC Science Podcast. So there's a twist. Christoph's a friend, known very well. Great topics, great business there in Austin. You do some content of your own. What are you doing and why? Sometimes I just do things because it seems to make sense with no huge master plan. So Timmy, my brother, years ago, I guess this will be just a history podcast. He was on a blog on JLC, if I remember right, and it had to do with fiber cement siding installation. Well, I think an editor saw it and reached out to Timmy, and he started writing for Journal of Light Construction. So he's written... I'm going to say literally dozens and dozens of tool reviews, articles, things like that for JLC. Not sure how much he's done for fine home building, but in any case, that's what got us started down this media path. He started, and it was tongue-in-cheek, an Instagram account called Awesome Framers, which is, it is what it is now. And he started posting, and his editor at JLC said, Tim, I think if you took this seriously, it could go somewhere for you. So he started taking it more seriously, and he's got 300 and some plus thousand followers on Instagram. He really started focusing on YouTube, I'd say about a year and a half ago, and he thought he missed the boat. He thought it was too late. I was like, I just don't know if it is, Timmy. I call him Timmy. Other people call him Tim in any case. So he is 100,000 plus subscribers. It's really benefited him especially because he's bags on. Let's see, I'm 43 now, so he's 45, 46, something like that. You can't do it forever. So that's allowed him to get another income stream. And at the same time, he is still involved in the company. He can train people. He and I talk pretty much every day. And there is an institutional knowledge 
of two brothers who have worked together for 20 plus years on how we do things. But I would say both of us are still trying to improve. So neither of us are dyed in the wall. Like we've got it all figured out. For myself, then it's primarily Instagram and Reisinger calls it edutainment. So entertainment that's educational or education that's entertainment, whatever you want to call it. And my account tends to be much more that way. Timmy's feed is more focused on the framing, structural side of things. I'm able to talk about everything under the sun. Recently, I just became a certified Bluebeam professional. They reached out to me from Instagram because I had done a post at software that I use. Well, I ended up doing a ton of learning, and now I know that software even better than I did before. So I can post content, and architects, drafters, civil engineers can find that side of the equation interesting. I can post content on flat work concrete that needs to be installed all the way to if we don't sell a house and we have to rent it and how we end up going about that. So we cover a lot of bases with our company. So the content is pretty much limitless, but it focuses, it tends to focus more on the details of how things work and teaching on that side of things. The other part for content is Build Show Network. So Matt Reisinger's channel or a website, he had reached out quite a while ago. He had wanted Timmy and me to join them, but I try to be really measured about taking on more than I can handle from a capacity perspective. I want to make sure that I do things well and not get overwhelmed or burnout is a big concern that I have. So thankfully, it's been over a year now. One sticking point between Matt and me is he really wanted me to do an episode a week. And that was too much for me. I just knew it was too much weight for me to carry. And about a year ago, he acquiesced and allows me to do two per month. As it turns out, sometimes I have enough content that I think it might make sense to release more, but still the same thing. And the financial side, it was a near the beginning of last year that I kind of looked at what was coming downstream. And I thought, I think we might be having some economic difficulties. So I don't get paid a whole heck of a lot with uh, Build Show, but I'm a contributor there. And part of it was, if I don't have to take a pay raise with the company, it keeps the company stronger. So maybe I can get a revenue stream elsewhere. Very interesting. So before we started, we talked a little bit about budgeting, practical limits on building to standards. And I want to hear you express more of your take on that. I am not one of those people who rails against the building code. I very much respect the building code and I acknowledge what it's there for. That isn't to say that I think the code is perfect, but when people say building a code minimum house is the worst house you can legally build, and I get that perspective, but I also think that it may embody a little bit of arrogance as if there's something wrong. Whereas my perspective, some people can't afford anything beyond that. I think about the kid who's 16, has been raised poor, and the only thing he can afford is a 1975 VW Beetle. That's okay. There's a whole lot that went into him being able to afford only that vehicle. On the other hand, David Beckham, he's sponsored by Maserati. Boy, I would love to have a Maserati. 
I don't begrudge him to have that high performance thing. So I think having that perspective on the financial side and trying not to be influenced by the beauty and the perfection, which is wonderful, but the reality of the situation is not everybody can afford to have that. So here in Washington state, we've got one of the strictest energy codes in the country. So looking at the energy code, what makes sense for us to build, recognizing we're in climate zone 4C, which is pretty middle of the road as far as climate zones are concerned. So what are the details that I need to focus on? We get a fair amount of rain, steady rain. Liquid water is what will get us sued. We don't have a whole lot of latent heat, but at the same time, can we dehumidify to a degree with our mini splits that we put in? So heat pump technology. We get our houses pretty airtight using aero barrier. It's a rational way for us to do that. There wasn't a really good resource on when should we be putting ERVs in. Well, I reached out to Panasonic on Instagram, actually, and got a free ERV one time. Now that's our standard. And we use the IntelliBalance 100 in every project. It's not the highest in terms of sensible recovery efficiency, but there's no way in a spec home we could put a Zender in. I would love to, but I can't justify the cost. We're already higher priced than anybody in our area. So the recognition of where are those dials that we can afford to actually sell the house, and yet we're still far and above beyond the other spec homes in our area. So for example, what's the typical customer feedback? What are they saying to you, customers that have purchased your homes? I'll be honest. I try and not go back to the customers, if at all possible. This is a real estate transaction, which is very different than a custom home builder. But what I do do is I meet with prospective buyers and I tour the home with them. And I explain what's in their house. And that's where the simple educational side comes in because they don't really know what's behind the walls. They don't know what they don't know. It's interesting to hear little comments, though, that they make, little observations. So one of them, we're in a house. I'm going to guess it tested to about 1.5 ACH 50 when all was said and done, somewhere around there. And she just commented on how quiet the house was. So that's the part of building science, right? It's not just about energy transfer through walls. It's occupant comfort. So the recognition that the house has a sense of peace, that haven, I think, is so important, whether people can understand it or not. There's something subconscious that we relate to. Building science is so often spoken of in terms of conduction and radiation and things of that nature. For me, building science is so much broader than that. Structural engineering is science. It's mathematically based where your bending moments are. What's your yield strength? Those types of things that when we start out having a very firmly built house, it just lends to a sense of occupant comfort as far as I feel like this is safe. Again, I don't think it's a conscious thought, but when you're walking around on springy floors, you just don't feel as stable as a house that you're like, this is going to survive a windstorm. I feel good in here. Very interesting. We've spoken again before we started about how 
we were on the path to build a passive house because it seemed like the way to go. And then worked with an old friend who happened to be a passive house tradesman instructor. He was trained in Austria. And he just showed us a real simple graph of the declining return on increasing insulation. And in a way, again, not to knock the passive house standard at all, I think it actually makes a tremendous amount of sense in larger multifamily shared walls. It becomes a lot more cost-effective. But right now, it's a little bit hard to do in single family. We looked at the difference in that and felt like we could put our money somewhere else rather than into insulation to meet a parameter. Again, it's this tension between measurements, calculations, results, and then the ultimate, which is satisfying the customer and providing shelter. I completely agree with that. And I think, too, it should very much depend on what your local loads are. We live in seismic design category D2. And the amount of steel that we need to put in our structures periodically or the shear that we need to be thinking about because of lateral loads is different than other parts of the country. So who would I be to say, Bill, I can't believe that you built and your foundation isn't the same as my foundation. That's a prescriptive mindset that just doesn't appeal to me. And incidentally, I know you're a mechanical engineer. We've built more for engineers than any other profession. So if that means anything to you, you can see the mindset. Yeah. If somebody lives in northern Michigan, Minneapolis, Alaska, they're going to have a different pressure on their house if they live on the coast versus inland or Florida, Louisiana, their latent loads are going to be different. Look at where you live. That's one of my big things. Look very big picture at the planet and what are your general jet stream impacts climate impacts. Now start zooming into your state, zoom into your region, all the way down to your lot. And then of course, at its extreme, the different buildings and the sides of the walls and where they face and the overhangs. But take a very iterative approach. And Passive House has some wonderful qualities. I had some training from them. EMU, can't remember the full name really good program. Enrico Bonarelli. Enrico and Mariana. Yeah. But for me, I can't be hemmed in by all of those requirements, nor would the market reward me, especially as a spec builder. We do Energy Star houses now that the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act has been implemented, but we were doing HERS ratings before that. And that was incentivized by the 45L tax credit. So that's where the financial side, the incentives do help lead you in a certain direction. It's interesting. I don't know. Have you gone through the Energy Star process before? No. It's pretty good. I like it. It forces you to do things that you haven't had to do before. And one of the things that our gentleman was asking about was how much refrigerant was added. These types of things when commissioning the mechanical system. So I take his list of 10 questions. And I send them over to our HVAC contractor and we're texting back and forth. And you can just tell he's just coming off the walls. Finally, he calls me up and I had to talk him down off the ledge and very methodically go through each question. He's like, well, we didn't add any refrigerant. Okay. Then on that particular line, just have your wife put no, but didn't add any. 
that's a big thing. It's the psychology of dealing with the trades with something new and walking them through it. They know how to bend sheet metal better than me, better than I ever will. At the same time, I have to be able to slowly walk them through a process incrementally. Because if I tried to do everything all at once, they would just say, we don't really want to work with you anymore. So patience is a big part as far as being the general contractor and getting all of these pieces to integrate. So you've got an inner educator that's coming out. (laughs) And maybe I've missed one thing, but I mean, through the YouTube, through counseling, your subs, any other aspects where you educate in your life? I'm a religious person. So I do a lot of education as far as the Bible is concerned. So yeah, a lot of education. I've had public speaking experience for since I was about eight years old. So that gives you an idea. Yeah, a lot of those types of things. But I think one of the key qualities to try to cultivate in this whole thing, and I know this isn't building science related, but it's human related, empathy. Yeah. Is if you need to send somebody down into a crawl space, treat them with dignity and respect. I think one of the examples I always use is I say, have you ever seen somebody stock a house with drywall? And a lot of people haven't. It's a brand name, but sheetrock, it's literally a sheet of rock. It's gypsum. And you have people hauling that around. You better treat them with respect. And that's something that dad, not intentionally, but he instilled just by his example. He never was a prima donna, even though he was in charge, so to speak, on the job site. He was the guy in sweatpants sweeping up, scrapping out the house. And I think that empathy allows me to respect the engineers and where they're coming from. If I have to meet with an inspector on the job site, they've got a job, they've got code to enforce, and it leads to a much more peaceful, harmonious process all the way through, if you can go that way. Again, I know that's not a building science thing, but just a personal expression. We talk about all kinds of things in this podcast. You need to listen to more episodes. From something you mentioned a few minutes ago, I could see a nice commercial or visual or video where you start out at the planet level and then you bring it in to you knowing about how to build homes in your specific area. Are there any microclimates that you get into? What is your region that you cover? It's funny that you use that expression, Bill, and I promise listeners this was not intended. One of the classes that I took during Running Start was Washington State History. It was a college course, but it worked for dual credits on the college side, as well as I needed something for to graduate high school. And that was something in the book on Washington State was microclimates. There are absolutely a lot of microclimates in Washington State. On the broad spectrum in eastern Washington, it tends to be more desert. Then you've got the Cascade Mountains as you move west. We've got a lot of coastline. And if you go way west, you're on the actual Washington coast. So you can have higher wind velocities that you need to factor in, as well as the amount of water that would come off from the wind and how that can affect your buildings. You've got the Ho Rainforest, which is, I think, the only temperate rainforest, at least in Washington. I couldn't speak for the entire globe. You've got a convergent zone which is a little bit north of Seattle because you've got the Olympic Mountains. So you've got wind that can come in 
split around the Olympic Mountains and then converge and how that can affect things. So yes, there is a whole lot of different areas that you have to be thinking about. And that's where you start learning about as a naturally observant person, why in the world does it get so cold when there's no cloud cover? And then you start learning about night sky radiation and how that can affect at your ridge line if you start having moisture problems and attic ventilation and everything's interrelated. But to go the opposite direction even further and you cast your glaze, your gaze rather, okay, what's going on in outer space? What's happening to the earth and how does radiation work? I'm not an expert in all this, but I'd like to say I'm at the 101 level on all of these different topics. And how does that actually affect things? Anyway, sometimes I meander. That's fine. I mean, we built our home south-facing. 66% of the fenestration faces south. So we get a lot of passive winter gain, but we have to use shades in the summertime and fixed shades as well as movable shades to moderate that, but just get a lot of free energy that's radiating upon us. So last question, without naming names, how does your competition either react to you or what do they do in your territory? I think there is an echo chamber within the Instagram building science community. And we don't realize that we're in the minority. We spend so much time together, whether it be virtually looking through the feeds, but it's a good reality check for me when I get to be around other people who work with other builders. Just this week, our energy raider was on site. I started a new BS and beer chapter. I'm not sure if you know what that is. Yeah, we should talk about that. Okay. So the listeners can hear from your perspective. Sure. He had been working for a company, I won't say their name, but they were failing their blower doors and they were just apparently rotten to work with. Aero Barrier was on site and they're now doing that company's homes and had to do some post-construction in order to bring in their air change numbers down. So things are being driven here much more by the code and what's being required by the AHJs in our area. But even so, they're not using ERVs. The heat pump side of things, they're still not super familiar with. This 2021 Washington State Energy Code is requiring prescriptively exterior insulation at an R5 level. So we tend to, by virtue of working with companies, we get to use new products, sometimes honestly, they give it to us. They give it to us at discounts, whatever. This is a business. But we get to try things like that free ERV, and then we can integrate it. We learn things because while it'll probably cost more up front on the labor side as we're just scratching our heads trying to figure this out, if we start adopting that product, we now have that embedded in. So we're always just a little bit ahead of the competition. But one of the key differences is just integrated systems design. I get to work with all of the trades in having all of these components work together instead of a bunch of silos doing their thing. And it's just a special place to be. Second generation builder, there's a lot that we've learned that would be very difficult for a larger company to have ingrained in each one of their designers and superintendents. Sure. And I guess we could close by giving us an overview of BS and beer. So BS and beer was started, as my understanding, in New England. And it was just a group of people that wanted to get together 
talk about building science, and drink beer. Beer is not a requirement. I think being here near Seattle, it should be BS and coffee. Meeting up on our job. So I just started it. There was another one in the area. I'm going to work with those folks, but it was BS and Beer Puget Sound, and I just didn't like the name. I thought PNW was better, so I just went for it. Don't have a master plan, but I had a meetup this week, actually, and it was to demonstrate Aero Barrier. We actually had a guy come up from Portland, or at least from Oregon. The guy drove hours, and he was there from 9 to 12.30, something like that. There was root beer on site, but there was no actual beer on site, which is probably good, especially if anybody from OSHA or what have you is listening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But it was nice. I didn't know how it was going to go, but eventually, you know, I kind of was the MC. And then you see, as I have to take care of things, that the people on site started talking to each other. And that's the point, is to have each person learning from the others, get a feeling of camaraderie, and really learn. Eventually, we'll probably have some Teams meetings or Zoom, something like that. But there's also a lot of breweries in Washington. So I could see in Tacoma, especially it's central for those who are from the North Washington, from Southern, come up and have a fenestration guy give a talk on Windows, have an insulation guy. Who knows? Haven't got it all figured out, but so far it's getting a pretty good response. I will include links on BS and Beer in the show notes for those of you interested. Even in Google, if you just start to type in BS and Beer, Denver, Kansas City, Portland, Maine, bump, 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 they're all coming up. There's a lot going on. It's very grassroots, Yeah, it seems. And for construction related, there's not a lot of construction to the event. <laughs> no, it's very iterative, very feel your, as you go, and there's no central governing body. So if you want to start one, go for it. Perfect. Brian, fantastic conversation. I know we tried to do this a little while ago, but you were so darn busy, but that's great, I think. And I'm glad you could find the time to meet with us here and talk on building HVAC science. Thank you. It was my pleasure. It's an honor. And honestly, thank you for how much information you've put out. I wouldn't be the builder I am without listening to your podcast. So thank you. Thank you for those comments. You make me blush. <laughs> Take care, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's not really tuning anymore, is it? It's more like selecting it. So thank you for selecting this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. I also host the ResTalk Podcast, where I talk about the world of home energy ratings and peripheral topics. There's a lot of great trade-related resources and influences out there, including HVACR School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Rarden, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, Home Diagnosis.tv, HC Service Tech, and MeasureQuick. If you like what you heard today, not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so. And if you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback on this episode, ideas for more episodes, guests you'd like to hear, or just have a conversation, you can email me and reach me at marketing at truetechtools, T-R-U-T-E-C-H, tools.com. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. And in full disclosure, I'm an owner of True Tech. The opinions voiced are those of my guests or myself, depending on who is speaking, of course. 
you're in the market for some tools or test instruments mentioned in our podcast or just curious about what we do at TrueTech, please take a look at www.truetechtools.com to see what we carry. You can use the offer code HVACBS for a nice discount. I want to thank you for listening to this episode and hopefully more episodes of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Until next time, take care. <music>